Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know we harp on it a lot. You need a good pair of binos. Yeah, I never hunted with binos until I was almost into my 20s. I never did it when I was a teenager or anything like that. Or when I was a kid, we never had binos. And when I bought my first pair of Vortex binos, the first binos I ever purchased back in like 2015, it immediately made a huge difference for me, especially in the turkey woods. So give yourself the advantage of a good pair of binos this spring, whether you're looking for more of like an entry-level bino like the Vortex Diamondbacks or something really, really nice like the Razors. Vortex is going to have something for you. And hey, don't pay full price for it. Use our discount code at eurooptic.com. Use the code SGN10 to get a discount on any Vortex optics that you want to order. Again, that's eurooptic.com, code SGN10 to go get a discount on any Vortex product you order. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Welcome back to another episode of the Southern Outdoors Podcast. It is another Monday, and we are rolling closer to deer season every single day. We're getting excited. If you're a Tennessee guy, you're going to be sitting in a tree stand in like two weeks for this velvet hunt, so get pumped. I hope you're jacked up on your in your car on the way to work this morning. Uh, today, we got a couple awesome guys on, Mr. Jonathan Bone from Catman Outdoors and Adrian Wilson. Both of these guys are entertaining knowledgeable informative guys get it done on public land year in year out and this is a great conversation that jacob recorded back at the birmingham world beer expo we were originally going to drop this as a bonus episode but 
unfortunately, the episode that we recorded tonight with Mr. Jeff Homan, uh, for some reason, just didn't save on the SD card, which, holy crap, how stressful. Uh, yeah, it's pretty annoying. Um, we asked Jeff all of your questions that you guys have had about, you know, map scouting, buck bedding, food sources, travel corridors, trail cameras, just everything that you guys have sent in, we tried to ask Jeff, and it was a damn good episode, and we lost it. And I sincerely apologize for that, guys. Uh, we really bust our tails week in and week out to get this thing out for you. We're not making a dime off of it. It's just something we're passionate about. And it really ticks me off when we uh, can't deliver that content in a timely manner to you guys. So the idea going into this fall is to listen to what you guys are asking about, the, the questions and concerns that you, that you, the Southern Hunter, has right now, something you're wondering about, something you'd like to hear a different perspective on, and we want to cover that week to week, which is what we've been doing with you know Glenn and Richard Fott and then also Jeff, who is on par with those two. Uh, but unfortunately, like I said, we lost that episode, and the only reason I'm bringing that up is just to let you guys know that that we absolutely, from the bottom of our hearts, appreciate everybody that writes in, and we want you to keep writing in with your questions so we can continue to keep this content as current as possible. Uh, so, you know, we're posting this episode that isn't, it, it doesn't have like your questions in it. We're not like saying, hey, this guy wrote in asking about this. Uh, just because this is a regular conversation. Now, there still are some great, great tips in here, some great conversations around public land hunting, but I just wanted you guys to know that the reason that there's no specific questions answered in here is because we lost the episode, you know, you get it. So, anyways, we'll be back next week with, like, the regular, quote-unquote, program of where we're going to be trying to answer your questions with the guests that we have. Uh, and we got some absolute great guests coming up. We're going to re-interview Jeff because that, that episode was just too dang good to let slide. Uh, we're definitely going to revamp that one, get him back on, and ask him those same questions. So, uh, you know, you can do some research on Jeff. Just like Glenn and Richard, Jeff says, you know, if you want to reach out to him and ask him any questions, he'll help anybody he can. It's, you know, just Jeff Homan on Facebook. And we're going to re-interview him this week. Uh, so next Monday, hopefully, you will hear from Jeff Homan or another guy who we've uh, had on the lineup for a while. So uh, anyways, if you have any questions, shoot them in. We will... 100% get those in on the next episode. Sorry for not uh, tackling your question specifically, but I think you guys are still going to really enjoy this episode. Can't thank Catman and Adrian enough for coming on this week. Uh, those guys are pretty sweet. We're going to have to have them back on, and hopefully, maybe, just maybe, hunt with them this fall. But anyways, without further ado, here is the episode with Jonathan Bone and Adrian Wilson. What's going on, everybody? It is Jacob Myers at the Southern Outdoorsman here. We are at the 2019 World Deer Expo, and in the booth today, we got some superstars. All right, so we got Jonathan Bohm of Catman Outdoors, and then we got Adrian Wilson. What's your What's your Instagram handle? Big A Sports. Big A Sports, yes, boys sir. and girls. You better watch out. So, first of all, what do you guys think about the uh, expo so far? Oh, I like it. <laughs> He's, well, hey. a, he's a man of many words. Um, yeah. No, it's, many it's words. awesome, man. It's a lot of people get to talk about hunting. That's what we like to do. And 
you know, when you find people with the, 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 the same things in common, we can sit here and just, I mean, guys, it's endless. You just have to stop conversation. We'd be here all night, right? Exactly. And that, that's the thing is I've had multiple conversations today that's been over an hour and a half long per conversation. That's about normal for the hunting crowd. Oh. You, get, you get into it with a couple people talking about deer, turkey, everything. You can go on all day. Well, and that's the crazy thing. Again, you come here and you're like, oh, man, you know, we're going to hang out. Do it. You know, I came here with the concept. Okay, we're going to do a bunch of podcasts. I get here and I'm talking to people. I'm like, man, we should be recording right now. Like, yep. What are we doing? Yep. But it makes for a fun time. So anybody that does not know Jonathan, uh-oh, uh-oh, we got, we got Matt Matt Garris over here trying, trying to get Adrian to rep some out-on-the-limb stuff. That's hilarious. Tethered. Tether Nation. There we go. Oh yeah. So we got we got two guys representing Tether. Are you, Jonathan? Are you officially on with Tether? Not officially, but we're looking at we're looking at some things. Look I've at, been talking in I've the been, works. In the yep. works. Basically. Hey, I'm all about some prototypes. That's all I'm saying, boys. I will girls. say I'll be in the Mantis this fall because I've sat in one a couple times and I'm a big fan. Well, see, that's the biggest thing. Because you went from, you were using a sit drag, sit and drag, yep. and a harness, which, I, again, we had that conversation earlier about trying to finally get them into a, a, a true saddle, get <laughs> into a yep. manis. Yep. It's about time. I can't believe, first off, that you hunted out of that as long as you did, because that doesn't look very comfortable to me. Well, that's what they say about all saddles, right? <laughs> that doesn't look comfortable. Well, I mean, for as as uncomfortable as it looks i liked it i mean it's minimalistic and that's usually how i start things out is minimalistic and yep. it did the job so i don't have any complaints about it it's about comparable to a lock on stand like not the most comfortable but definitely i could sit in it for a few hours but that, that's the, that's the same thing though with you know people that have never hunted out of a manufactured saddle you know they're like man is that comfortable can you how long can you sit in that thing so i kind of compare it to that anything new uh you know what Myself included, I'm skeptical of things that I don't know about till I actually try it. So it's kind of you know once you once you, you know sitting up in the booth today in the tether booth today, that's one of the, the neatest things is to to see guys come in that are either skeptical that's never sitting one or excited and heard about it on a podcast and to see their face when they sit in it that first time, they're like, oh yeah, that's you what know, we're that's talking about. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of funny because last night, so my buddy Chad Granger, he was over at the booth last night. I think you guys, were, you and Ernie were both kind of working with him, kind of like testing it out and everything. And he was a guy that was always interested in saddle hunting. And he was a guy, you know, you meet somebody, you're like, man, this guy screams like he should be a saddle hunter. You know, yeah. you know, especially a guy that's like hardcore running gun guy, you know, especially you see these guys that are super lean and lanky. Right. I'm like, boy, you scream saddle hunting. Okay. I mean, Adrian, that's you, my man. You are, you get the, you get the long lankiness, you'll be able to reach up and uh, definitely make it happen. So, Granger, he loved it last night. He loved to test that saddle, and he actually, I think, just ordered one. So it's cool to kind of see these guys making transitions to saddle hunting, which previously before they probably never even heard of it. I mean, when did you find out about saddles? It was – so I've been saddle hunting for five years. Oh, wow. And our friend Ricky that we hunt with, Mm -hmm. um, he'd been hunting out of the sit drag a year before, and I hunted with him for a full year. I'm looking at him like, man, I, I can't do that, you know, because I'm like the skeptical guy. It's, it's change, and it was in my world. I'm, I'm seeing all these move. I, I, what I felt were moving parts and so many pieces, but once I sat in it and mm-hmm. realized, hey, this this is not what I thought it was, then I, it, it blew my mind. Like, cause I I didn't know. Yep. I was like, I've been missing out, and now I've been carrying around. Now I'm not knocking tree stands because, I mean, I still got some presets like that, mm-hmm. but. For the, for the quick hunt. But now I'm like, I've been missing out so much. And it's unbelievable what you can get, do and get away with in a saddle that I, I didn't 
think was possible, that can't do out of just a normal lock-on or, or, or a climber. Exactly. And I know, Jonathan, you – Yeah, I was going to say, you said you were skeptical. It took me another three or four years to I know. To I, mean, he was hunt- I mean, he's hunting with us. And, you know, he went out last year and bought a, a brand-new lock-on, right? Yeah. In the last year? I've hunted out of it, like, like tons of times, like maybe yeah. once or twice. <laughs> yeah, it was brand new, and then all of a sudden he makes this switch, and yep. and and it, it hadn't looked back. I mean, but you know, every 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 saddle, lock on climber, they all have their places, yep. you know. But for for me, now that I've been a saddle hunter, it's not like I'm I'm, hey, I'm better than you because I'm a saddle hunter. I just I like it. Yep. I mean, if I didn't like it, I wouldn't do it. Well, and one thing I noticed about a lot of saddle hunters is that you know we're normally pretty. I'm going to say uh, passionate individuals, at least about saddle hunting, and almost like the, just the characteristics of saddle hunting. I mean, right. that's one thing when I got started with it, I was like, I was a huge denier, kind of like yourself. You know, you're skeptical. Yeah. You look at it like that, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Your brain cannot process. I'm sitting in this little hammock little thing. It looks like a rock climbing harness, and it can, doesn't look comfortable, doesn't look safe, doesn't look reliable. And again, once you try it, man, it can blow your mind. And it's the complete opposite. It's probably, it's it. well, it's safer than sitting in a, in a, a lock-on. You don't have the slack in your, in your tether. I mean, you're, 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 it's tight and you're, you're, you're solid. It is a safety harness. You can't hunt out of it without a harness like you can in a tree stand. Right. Exactly. And that's, you know, that's another cool kind of concept with it. Now, let's talk a little bit about last year because it seemed like both of y'all had a pretty good year last year. I know, Jonathan, you killed your As far ad- as does, yeah. John, Jonathan, listen, Jonathan's got a thing with the ladies, and he absolutely will slay some does. <laughs> yeah. He he loves his women, you know, and he will shoot them in a heartbeat, and he gets that itchy. He, he's like, and he'll tell me, he's like, I'm going to try and hold off today. Nope. Mm-hmm. He calls me. I got three I got, hours later. I got three down. Yeah. God. Which, kind of a little bit more background about you guys for anyone that doesn't know, especially Adrian. I know, Jonathan, we've had you on quite a bit, but Adrian, you know, kind of give us a little rundown of yourself, your kind of hunting style, and again, you know, hunting public or private, and kind of your little background with hunting. All right. So, uh, I didn't start hunting until I was 28 years old. Oh, dude. Uh, I'm a high school teacher, and I, uh, I recently, a year ago, resigned from – I was a head basketball coach, high school, uh, for 16 years. Oh, wow. And, you know, deer season and basketball season, you know, don't really mesh well. So I was, I was a hardcore into hunting in my head, but I didn't get to go because basketball practice or games. So I was a weekend hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, anyway – but I loved it, and uh, so ultimately last year, I mean, I'd been hunting for for I'm, I'll be 44 in seven days. So dude, you look freaking I, good for 44. Yes, I sir. thought, dude, I thought you were like there's a couple years I, older than Jonathan. I, no every, joke. It, yeah. It's everybody, everybody. I get that. So hey, listen, well, congratulations. You got hey, some great genes, my I'm, man. I'm grinning. I'll tell you that because I, I don't mind that whatsoever. Should see the dude without a beard. He's like 14. Yeah, I look 12. Um, yeah. But uh, anyway. Getting, uh, uh, I was pretty much an early archery hunter. Then basketball season started, and it was a weekend thing, you know. Yep. And uh, I, I just, I, I had experience doing that, and I, I hunted a long time doing that way. And uh, so anyway, I, uh, Jonathan and I live about ten minutes from each other. We've hunted together for about Cali since our 2010ish, right? Yeah, give or take. Well, that's about when I started hunting. Well, so it was right. It was, at, you'd, you'd hunted about a year. It was or two. not long after that, yeah. right? Um, so, uh, what else did you ask me? I'm just, no, well, I mean, a little bit more about your background when it comes to hunting. So you got into hunting kind of a late onset hunter, which is pretty cool. Cause that's something I, and I like to hear cause it's, it almost so, seems like it's not as common, but that's like the people that really, it matters. I think. Right. Um, so, so I got, I started, I started as a turkey hunter. 
Okay. Um, uh, my Same here. The, the girls' basketball coach where I used to, to teach at, he was a big-time hunter. He's like, dude, you know, because I'm an outdoor – I was an outdoorsman. I was hiking and doing stuff like that. He's like, we got to get you in the turkey woods. So I went with him literally the next day. I didn't have a license. I just went to tag along. I went to Walmart and camoed it up, you know, mm-hmm. right? I, I had my – because before – I had to have the, 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 at the time, the Mossy Oak Obsession, right? So did that, and that morning, it was in Giles County, Tennessee, and at the time, the bird population was fantastic, and I was just getting hammered that morning. Like, my, I was, my chest was rumbling, and at that moment, I knew, okay, this is me, yep. right? So I went and uh, got my license. I went and got my license and uh, hunted hard the rest of the year, not knowing what I was doing, learning as I went. Uh, learning from the mistakes I, I killed two days before the season was over so right after that my buddy's like all right you're hooked on that we're going going deer hunting now i was like let's do it i was, I was ready to go and uh got a uh a, a bow off craigslist practiced for about a month bow season started uh this was on private land and i shot a bow my or, or shot a doe my first morning out Dude, um, that's, was, that's Tennessee for you right there. And it, they were they were hammering some acorns. Uh, I'll never forget it. He was about 15, 20 yards. I mean, and I was hooked. It was it was it was right then. So uh, now I'm pretty much uh, if I I don't I don't care if I'm hunting public or private. It doesn't matter to me. I just want to kill some deer, right? Yeah. I, I like the hunt, but because of I'm I'm not, I don't pay for leases or anything like that. So I I primarily hunt about 95 percent of public lands. Uh, Throughout Middle Tennessee, you know, I've branched out here in the, in the last couple of years, uh, uh, going to Alabama and Georgia and doing some stuff like that. This year, uh, really excited about this year because uh, had some opportunities open up, you know, and me being with Tethered and stuff yeah. like that. And uh, going to look, uh, going to Alabama, Kentucky, uh, some some up north stuff that we're, that's in the works. But uh, uh, that's kind of sums it up, I guess. Awesome. Now, when it comes to your style of hunting, are, are you one of these guys that you pretty much love running the bow, or you pretty much will pick up any weapon that's that's open right then and there? My favorite by far is the bow, and I will I will take that even during gun season at, at times. But I have no problem taking my muzzleloader or or my uh, my rifle out. Um, just depends on my mood, to yep. be honest with you. More times than not, I will take a bow, but uh, and it kind of depends on uh, you know if it's been rough in by any stretch. And then the deer are at just out of range. Uh, I might just just pick up the rifle or whatnot. But uh, uh, archery is by far my favorite sport. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, I don't know if y'all heard that. Uh, Jonathan had a fan come up. <laughs> it's like Catman. Give him yeah. a little, give him a little high five. Look, Jonathan's a celebrity. You better I, watch I, out. Well, I had to do a double take, make sure it wasn't somebody I knew first. Hey, listen, you're you're popper, man. You you stand out among the crowd and people pick it up, but. Kind of getting back to everything. Now, I know both of you guys hunt a lot of public land, um, and that's you know a passion of ours as well as hunting a bunch of public land. When you guys first started hunting public land, I'm, this is a two-part question. So, Adrian, or actually, Catman, Jonathan, I'll let you go first, and then, Adrian, you'll fill, finish it. What was the hardest part for you when you first started public land, uh, and what was the most challenging part of hunting public land at first? Well, considering that when I first got into hunting, I started hunting on public I'd say the hardest part was learning how to hunt, period, whether public or not. And then I got in a couple of smaller private properties like a year or two later. And and so, I mean, by that point, I was already starting to catch on and it got easier from there being on private. So I, I don't really know, like I couldn't compare it to private, you know, just starting out because, uh, I mean, that's all I knew. 
Yeah. So uh, I had a little bit of, you know, advice. I had a little bit of advice. I had, a, a, you know, tips from a couple of friends on some spots I could check out for both deer and turkey and ended up killing my first deer and my first turkey out on some public land in Middle Tennessee back in uh, 2011. And it just kind of took off from there. It became, you know, an obsession like it is for all of us. Yeah. Adrian? Yeah. um, So I started off on private. And and being a school teacher, I was in a rural area. I had a lot of kids that are farm kids that they had a lot of farms. And they were doing farm work, so they didn't hunt. So I had had luxury of of some really nice prime land. Uh, Killed my biggest buck uh, in 2010 out on some, some private land. I haven't seen a buck since, right? You know, but uh, anyway, I've moved as a teacher to other places. Now I'm more closer to Nashville, so I don't have uh, the opportunities that I did. So that pushed me to to public land, and which was a, I was scared. From the, when I say scared, you know, you as a private land hunter, you hear the stories of oh, the Orange Army, this and that, and uh, I'd reached out to our buddy Ricky uh, off a of Tennessee deer, and he because I knew he was a public land hunter, and he offered to take me out. And uh, we actually went out in turkey season uh, and happened to double up first time, you know. I remember and, that. Yeah, doubled up that, that, that first uh, morning. And, mm. and, 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 you know, and I'm like, um, this isn't hard, you know. This isn't hard. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong, you know. Yeah. Um, I learned – I became a better hunter because it's so different, you know, from with private land. I've got all my cameras out and the deer – you know, there's there's not much intrusion there. Public land, you don't know what you're going to get. But I learned, uh, you know, people people pattern their, their patterns where they're going to park, and it, and it could be somebody different. Most hunters on public land that I've run across are going to go to the big parking lot and usually go so far into the woods. And and so I started branching out and finding the the less accessible areas, and I've found success doing those sort of things. Uh, and, and hunting the hunters, so to speak, you know, because as a school teacher, I might not get to hunt all week sometimes. So then I am, these guys that are retired are going all the time. So I, I was going on the weekends yep. and, and, and early on I was like, this is hard as crap. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I wasn't successful. Wasn't anything like that. Golly, that guy's ugly. Old Drew. Wild Drew edge. Walter. Oh my gosh. Good, <laughs> good guy. Anyway. Um, so as time, I was learning from my failures, I guess, and, and just with the experience of hunting public land and getting getting that confidence uh, from from my experience. So, yeah. um, but as a running gun, I like the mobility of the of the saddle, you know, because if if we you ever get in a tree with a lock on or a climber and you're and you're like crap, I'm not in a good spot or I don't like my tree and you don't want to get down because it's it, it's kind of work mm-hmm. or noise, but with my saddle. If I'm sitting here watching these deer funnel down a certain, I picked the, let's say I picked the wrong trail and, and they're 40 yards away, it's nothing for me to quietly get down and move over to a better area. And, and I love that I can do that now. I, ha- I feel confident in that and I can pretty minimalistic not make as much noise as I was going to do with a, uh, a lock on or whatever. Well, let's talk a little more tactics. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a tactics-based guy. That's what gets me fired up is just talking tactics. Uh, I know probably everyone here has a little bit different way they like to hunt. Uh, one thing I, I started doing last year, especially early season, that I'm going to try to do this year is hunting more off the ground with a bow. 
It's extremely intimidating for a lot of guys, but it's one of those things I think you can have a lot of success, especially like we were talking about when you and me were scouting with Andrew up in uh, Tennessee. It's like finding some of those those hot food signs, those you know those hot fruit trees, talking persimmons up there, or some of those hot oaks. You can kind of work some of those areas and hunt off the ground. But also, just staying mobile, like you're saying, and don't wait for the deer to come to you. If you're seeing those deer at a, at a you know outside of bow range, and they're consistently moving through one part, get down and go over yes, there. Yes, and definitely. It, it drives me crazy because I, dude, I used to do that all the time growing up. Man, you'd be bow hunting, and like you get stuck on this one tree. At, like I want them to come by here, yep. especially using a climber. You're stuck. That's a big mistake a lot of hunters make is they hunt where they want the deer to be, not where the deer want to be. Yep. Or, or they they look at a tree and like this is the perfect tree. Yeah. You can't go just on the the tree. And that's where, yeah. you know, with some lock-ons and, or, and saddles, you can hunt pretty much anywhere you want to. And so you've got to move to what, what the deer are doing. You, that you, you, they don't adapt to you. They leave you. You yeah. have to adapt to them. And, and that's, that's – if you're aggressive – I mean, you can be too aggressive, of course, but I want to go to where the deer are going to be. Exactly. And that's one thing that fires me up about this, the style of mobile hunting. Ever since I started the running gun page back in 2017, I've learned from so many guys like yourself, Adrian and, and Jonathan, of just different styles that you guys liked. I mean, if it wasn't for that page, I would have never heard about saddles, or at least not in the aspect I know about them today. Um, I never knew about saddlehunter.com. I didn't know about a lot of this kind of stuff. And coming at this, being a lock-on kind of guy, going from a climber to a lock-on and now to a saddle, it's seeing that transition and seeing what affects me and helps me, you know, kill more deer, but also be able to get on more deer more often. Because, again, in the past, man, especially even hunting with a lock-on, you hunt in a spot like, okay, I don't want to, you know, climb up that nasty tree closer to that, you know, where I think is a little bedding area. I'm going to find a little straighter tree. It's a little easier to climb. Well, then those deer are out of my bow range. Right. Now with that saddle, I can go in there and I feel a lot more confidence hunting either off the ground or hunting to a tree that I'm like, this is the money spot. Not because of the tree, but it's because of what's around the tree. Again, right. we're hunting deer. We're not hunting a tree. Well, and, and you, you said a while ago, you're going to spend more time on the ground this, this year. I, th- I think that's great. I think boots on the ground is key too. Jonathan's really – I've learned a lot from Jonathan. I mean, he, he's got really good uh, wood, woodsmanship. I mean, he, he knows browse. I mean, he, he, he sees things that – Sometimes I do not see, and I've learned from him from from a lot of those things. And uh, uh, like you know, the hunting public guys—they've been super successful. Jonathan and I have been fortunate enough to hang out with those guys a little bit. Those guys put in their time on the ground. I mean, they do a lot of still hunting, mm-hmm. and 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 so they'll go off and they'll hunt an area for ten or twelve days, right? Well, many many days leading up to their last three or four days, they're hunting boots on the ground, and yep. and. and, and any sign that they're seeing, they're 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 putting that on their Onyx map, and they're then they they kind of back out of there, and they'll go in at the right, right exact time. Right. Well, let's talk about that because I think that's a great topic that we have not talked about in this podcast, really in a whole bunch of detail. I've talked about saddle hunt or hunting off the ground, especially using saddles and kind of hunting my way through areas and having success. But I've never had another group of guys that you know has that same kind of concept about boots on the ground scouting looking for that hot sign on the ground especially if you're going to the spot you haven't been to previously right like when you're hunting out of state you went you guys came you down to alabama to, yeah. i know y'all did that quite a bit down there and you actually y'all found deer right away yeah, yeah i i kind of i would say i kind of lucked into it i mean i was looking for deer so i was kind of going with terrain features and, and uh and cover and whatnot and i stumbled into a buck that i should have killed but i i mean he busted me like two or three times i got nervous and missed him but yeah we were still hunting open mature pine trees and well even before that remember we walked right in the woods and within 20 to 30 minutes oh, yeah. in that creek bottom that's what i was talking we had, about yeah. we had bucks running below us we didn't have a clear shot on them but we, we were following terrain features we were following uh deer poop 
just yeah, yeah. Sign. just covered. Yeah, well, as soon as we got into the fresh yep. sign, we kept following it yep. on down towards the bottom, and then there was bucks running around in the bottom. And, and that's you know, there's, I, when I first started hunting, I walk into a place, I'm like, oh, this looks like a deer woods, right? You can't just do that. You got to look for the sign. And I that was, I mean, I learned from it, but and, I, and again, a lot of kudos to Jonathan. He's helped me find a lot of those things and, and learn those over the years too. So uh, he's really good about getting on, on the on the hot, fresh deer sign. And it's not just you know, you don't, not just hunting scrapes and, you know, that is deer sign, but, you know, if you're just going to sit on that stuff, it's you a, know. It's a timing thing. When You were talking about deer poop. When you see droppings that are still fresh and green and, and wet, they, they you can tell they, they haven't been there long. You know, the yep. deer are in that area for some reason, whether it be food or bedding, and you're probably going to catch up to them if you stick with them and if the wind is good. Right, right. And, and that's the thing, too. A lot of guys, they'll go, that I've seen, and I, They'll go in, and if a deer blows and runs off, they'll be like, oh, that place is busted. I think you hunt it. That's yeah, where the deer put. were. Stay there. Yeah. Yep. Deer will come back around, I promise. Especially if they didn't really get a look at you. If they if they heard you coming and they just took off and you see a white tail, they don't know what you were. They just spooked, and they'll, there's a good chance they'll come back. And, and it, it, yeah, they can smell you, but they're still going to come back at some point, and I think that's a good spot. I'll say something. So I don't, I'm don't. i not sure when this podcast is going to drop, but an episode we have coming up this Monday, which, again, guys, by the time this podcast comes out, it's going to be already out. We actually did a podcast with a gentleman called uh, – his name is Glenn Solomon. He's from South Georgia. He's a public land killer. He's been hunting B-style tactics for 35 years, never even heard of or knew of Dan Infault. Nothing against Dan Infault, but he had never, never heard of him or that hunting B-style tactics, okay? He hunts buck beds and buck bedding areas throughout the state of Georgia and killed five mature deer last year, two state tags, and three bonus tags from wildlife management areas. Wow. Dude wow. is That's a killer. Impressive both with archery equipment, muzzleloaders, and rifles. And what he's doing, boots on the ground, like you're saying, mm-hmm. like we've all been saying, yep. but he's got the experience going in these places, looking for hot sign and getting in there, kind of understanding how these deer use these woods, going in there and, and having success on first-time basis. He rarely hunts the same areas more than once a season. So he'll go in there, hunt one tree in one specific location, one time, kill a deer and back out, won't come back to it. And that's that's where I see a lot of just typical hunters They'll go to their spot. And it's they habitual. Have, they, and they go to the same tree, the same. And I'm not saying that you won't have success doing that, but I think you are really losing out on better chances with, again, boots on the ground and fresh sign. Yep, exactly. And that's one thing we learned from Glenn, which I think is very important. And hopefully a lot of people listening to this podcast right now learn from that episode. But, you know, that's something I find important is, again, boots on the ground. That's one thing I changed last year that I had not previously done is scouting. And what, hep- what helped me do that, was really using that saddle. Now, previously, I was trying to do it with a lock-on, use that that uh, the Lone Wolf Alpha. The problem is, you can't be very quiet walking through the woods uh, with any tree stand, in my opinion, because it's wider than your shoulders most times. You're going to hit branches. Yeah, you're yeah. trying to slip through. You got metal. I don't care how much you self-strip, paracord. Oh, yeah. You got contact especially, on metal. Especially where we hunt in middle Tennessee and Alabama has a lot of that thick stuff, mm-hmm. too. Oh, briars, and privet. Cedar, cedars, yep. pines, yep. everything just makes noise on a, on a tree stand. Exactly. So, you know, what I found success was, you know, trying to find some of these hot feed trees early in the season, which I had never previously done, where you're literally covering ground till you find a hot oak. And this is, and and especially Tennessee, that first, you know, first week of season might find a couple of white oaks, but especially getting into October after persimmons maybe have, you know, not maybe lost their luster with those deer. They're transitioning to some of these red oaks and some of these other white oaks. Find that one tree that literally... When you're the underneath hot, it, the hot one. it literally looks like someone either took a tiller to it, yep. and there's deer droppings everywhere. Like, you can't walk without deer and, droppings. And cracked acorn caps. And, yep. I will say, you say red oaks. Uh, usually around where I hunt, me and Adrian hunt, 
uh, some of the northern red oaks will drop first before anything else. If you find that one tree that's in the right spot, I mean, just because it's dropping doesn't mean deer found it. Exactly. But you found a the you find an early drop in red oak that's got a good bumper crop right at the beginning of season before the white oaks before the, and most persimmons are not dropping yet. Some of them are. You just find find those first trees that drop in the right spots around deer bedding or just where the deer generally travel. That they're usually hot, really hot, just in the beginning of the season. Yep. Well, one thing I want to talk to you guys about also a little bit more in tactics is how do you guys transition with the deer throughout the season? Because I think any successful hunter, you can't do the same old same throughout the season because stuff changes, especially in Tennessee because the season opens up so early compared to like Alabama. We don't open until October 15th. When you're opening in mid-September, what those deer are doing there compared to what they're doing mid-October to mid-November going into December is is a crazy. And I know, Adrian, you killed a really good deer last year. Jonathan, you killed the crap out of some does, man. I know yeah. you had chances at bucks to get on camera and just couldn't make it happen. Yeah. But how are you guys transitioning from that first week or two of bow season until going into muzzle and rifle and everything else? What's that transition look for like for both of you? For, well, for me, the biggest struggle for me is the transition from summer uh, ag field patterns to acorns. And it's really – I think it comes down to boots on the ground because you can kind of get lost when they just disappear from – their normal head to the field in the evening type patterns and then you don't know where they're feeding because there's oak trees everywhere and it's it, you can kind of get lost trying to figure out what oak trees they're feeding at and if it's a bumper crop year with acorns everywhere it's probably the toughest to hunt because they can just browse around wherever they want yeah and there's not as many hot trees but uh like 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 we're talking about boots on the ground it, you can still find a hot tree even in those bad years if you if you put enough time and put enough miles in the woods and when you do find a spot, make sure you're hunting a good wind and make sure you hunt it right because it might be the only good spot you find for a while on a bumper crop year. Exactly. And I think, and I'll let you kind of take over this, Adrian. Uh, but I think years when it is a bad year for acorns can actually be some of the best hunting. Oh, yeah. Because if you can find either that one hot acorn tree, because there might not be much dropping, or find the alternate food source, whether again, you know, some places, you know, you're talking, you might have ag, but also any kind of fruit, any kind of other soft mass, or really any other kind of browse. One thing well, I found that's, that's uh, black gum trees, yeah. black gum seedlings and saplings. He's really good. Jonathan's really good at, at finding the browse, like, you know, if they're still, you know, you got green leaf stuff uh, before it starts to turn uh, there in the in the late fall, early winter in that transition. Because if they're not hitting the ag fields, because, you know, we're trying to we're, – we're doing our homework. We're scouting early season, and they're hitting those fields. And, and if, if if they transition, then you got boots on the ground. Jonathan – that's where he's he's looking. He's like he'll say, "Hey, you, these deer are eating this here," and you can see where they're 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 picking it off and stuff like that. Yep. And then, and then that's when you know the boots on the ground. It's, it's a must to to find the hot tree. You like, really got to find it. I got caught up in a little bit of a unpredicted kind of thing with the cut cornfields last year. Normally they cut right before or right at the beginning of bow season, and that's before they're switching to acorns. So when they cut cornfields early like that the deer are just on them like clockwork last year they didn't cut them until several weeks late because we had some rain and, and bad weather and by the time they cut corn the deer were pretty much all transitioned to hard mass to acorns and stuff and they you barely would see a deer in a fresh cut cornfield and i was kind of confused and i was like well you know that's probably just because of all the acorns that they've been eating on they don't want the corn anymore so they probably won't hit those fields until late season when they get a little bit of green growth and they plant winter wheat so I just kind of left the fields alone and started trying to find some some uh, hard mass to get back on them. And, and something that, that we did last year too is uh, we had uh, a lot. Of, some we noticed that some of the greens uh, were planted late, right? Yes. And, and so if they were planted late, 
they're they're going to produce late. So soybeans and, in particular, right? That, and that's what I, uh, bean or soybeans and and we had a lot. We had a wet a wet fall last year, so they were still green for a long time. So they were still hitting that, especially the low lying lands, yep. like some flood areas. That that's a really good spot. Uh, and then you know one of the transition. Then you get into the 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 pre-rut and in the in the rut at that point we're we're trying to uh we're hunting does at that point because obviously the the big boys are going to follow them so and, and that was my next question is you know come mid-october okay what are y'all doing come mid-october going into the first of november especially in these areas these different you know public land tracks which i know we all have hunted the same track before the same parcel well same continuous parcel of some public land what are y'all doing at that time frame, especially after, you know, you're talking hard food sources, hard mass at that time. What are y'all transitioning at that point, getting ready for that really good pre-rut seat, that pre-rut, you know, especially in these areas, you know, it's probably happening right around that first week of November, kind of getting really started. You know, those deer are starting to kind of cruise a lot cruising, more yeah. and you can really start seeing deer. Because what, what was the time, Jonathan, when you had that one buck kind of skirt the edge of you uh, early? or Last out, year? Yes. It was just a little, it was a little strip of land. It was up against some private land, mm-hmm. and he came off private just for a minute, and there was some does going down the fence row away from me, and, of course, he turned and followed them and kind of eased back on the private. He was a good deer. I'd say he was I, – I didn't get too much of a look at him, but I got some video. I'd say he was maybe pushing 120, and he looked young. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm, I'm not going to lie. By 30-30, he'd been dead if he had kept yeah. coming at me. <laughs> Yeah, the, the, the deer I, yep. I killed last year, uh, he was, he was uh, scent-checking – uh, doe bedding areas and uh i just happened to be in the right spot at the right time you know there, there's uh does were were around and he he come in and I, I grunted at him and he didn't even check up like he was on a mission right like he's 60 yards away and he's going into a thicket uh i grunt again and nothing so then i snort wheeze and it stopped him when i stopped him uh he slowly just eased on into the thicket mm-hmm. so about that time, this little young buck just comes running in looking for a fight, right? And he walks by right in front of me and goes to my right. So I'm sitting there watching him. And literally, it wasn't even four minutes. I just happened to look down because it had been misting a little bit. Mm-hmm. I looked down, and that big boy is right in front of me, like, I mean, five yards. Oh, dude. I, I didn't hear him come in. So he had circled back around. He would went into that thicket and somehow circled back around, didn't ever see him. And by the time, like I said, I saw him, he was five yards in front of me, and he was going from my left to right, and I'm a lefty shooter. So I, I was fortunate enough to, to put one in him. I mean, it wasn't eight to ten yards. And what time frame of the year was that? Uh, exactly. Was right in the rut. Exactly the, 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 the two weeks. It was the, the first week of what I would consider our rut days, which would be around December. The, the, now it's the second week, wasn't it? You killed that buck in November, right? Yeah, it was like uh, November right the thirteenth. Yeah, it was right around peak rut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for so, that area. Yeah, fantastic. Well, again, so you kind of transition transition through the rut. You know, you're hunting these doe areas. You know, hunting does, find doe bedding areas. When y'all are trying to find doe bedding areas, are you going off of you know early season where you were seeing does and you're going back in there, or what are you kind of doing to kind of find these doe bedding areas or these areas that are holding does? Uh, that you're going to have, you know, some bucks hopefully come through. Some areas that you just know them from hunting them for several years, and some, and some areas just boots on the ground. You find the fresh sign, and you say, well, there's a lot of fresh droppings, a lot of, like, doe beds or doe trails, and uh, it looks like a spot where they're just spending a lot of time, so you might as well get on the, well, like, on the downwind edge of that and try not to shoot any does in my case because I'm, I'm usually out just to deer hunt, whether it's a doe or a buck. Yep. But um, yep. I'll, I'll be picky with bucks. But uh, but I 
a lot of times I'm, at, I'm just out to hunt a new spot and shoot a doe if I can. But uh, but when hunting bucks, yeah, you, you, you still want to hunt the does. You just don't shoot them. You let them walk, and hopefully hopefully you get the right, you know, get the right deer, the, right, the buck you're after show up, you know. Yeah. Now, that, that's, that's kind of... That's kind of vague. That's not like the whole, you know, finding a bu- specific buck and hunting him. That's really kind of like where I struggle the most is is finding and targeting a specific buck. Well, I think the problem is unless you're running cameras, it's really hard to do that, especially on public. And to be honest, I'm not a huge fan of it because I feel like you really, unless you're just a, a true guy that I'm only after a certain class deer, okay, like I'm only after 140-inch deer or bigger or whatever it is, that's, I feel like it can hinder you, especially a guy – I mean, especially like myself, that just doesn't have a whole bunch of experience killing larger, older age class deer, okay? It's harder to kind of key in on that, especially if you don't have a whole bunch of experience. And it's one of those things, I feel like it's a lot harder to learn. It's one of those things that, like, I don't feel like you learn that in its season, especially when you start trying to focus on, hey, I'm going to try to find some older age class deer. I think me and Andrew were telling when we were scouting, we can find them, but the problem is finding them and then killing them. Yep. And I have a, I have a big problem on a lot of the public lands that we hunt me and adrian both um they're they're real broken up into like smaller parcels and and scattered throughout private land and so i had a buck i was trying to kill last year and i had him in soybeans like every time i went out he was out there and he was he had some running buddies he had two running buddies that were younger bucks and um me and adrian both saw those bucks in the beans during bow season but of course we didn't see him and i was running a camera and uh, I did get him on camera on October 5th, I believe, and he was right at the property line where I had the camera. And I believe he just kind of migrated just a short ways over once the velvet came off and he kind of established his rut range or whatever, not far away, but on the neighboring property where I couldn't hunt. Yeah. And, and he sure, he ventured over on the public sometimes, but it was just kind of like a, just, you know, you, you couldn't really predict his his patterns or anything. Yep. Because you couldn't even figure out where he was bedding because he wasn't spending much time on public. Well, I got a question for both of you, and I'm going to let Adrian answer this first. How do y'all use maps for your scouting? Again, either before you go into hunt or if you're going in a scout or especially like going to Alabama, how much are you using maps? And again, kind of what mapping systems are you using and what are you kind of looking for on a map? Um, my, well, for me, one of my favorite things to find uh, on, a, on a map is I, I love saddles. Yep. I love and we're talking about, you know, <laughs> obviously not a saddle I'm sitting in. I'm looking for a saddle to hunt yep. uh, at. And uh, I've always had a, a lot of success of seeing deer anyway there. I've killed killed a few on saddles. But uh, Onyx is, is, is what I've been using the last couple of years um, before that. I mean, I'll, I'll use different, you know, they're all a little different. Mm-hmm. They, can, they can all um, add a little something. So I'll see. Uh, but I, I like looking at the topo maps, yep. and I'm looking for the topography there, and uh, just uh, elevation changes. I like to look at the different changes of you know from from hardwoods to cedars or, or whatever yep. those transitions. I think uh, I think yeah. transition uh, areas. I, you know, you you hear some people talking about it, but I think that's uh, people miss out if they're not hunting that. You know, edges some, of cedars and hardwoods yep, can be real good huge. travel areas. And I, I think that's 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 big. That's my favorite. That that and hunting hunting uh, on top of saddles, where they're they're coming through there. And now the saddles, we probably want to go into. Some people are are not sure what, exactly what the definition of a saddle is, and sure. not not all types of terrain have saddles, so. We're talking about like where two hills are touching, and it's the low point. The low point hills. between, yes. It's yes. A, it's an easy place, easy place to cross. Good, 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 
ambushing uh, spot, in my opinion. Um, but I, I, you know, that's that's there's other things, but those are those stand out to me because those are my favorite. Okay. Now, Jonathan, I want to ask you, what are you kind of using when it comes to maps? I know you just kind of talked about saddles and everything. Kind of like what services are you using? Again, kind of what are you looking for in a general aspect? Well, I've in the for the past, I say two seasons, I've got into the Onyx Hunt app and kind of got addicted to it to the point where I wonder, am I really putting enough time in the woods? I'm, I'm studying maps too much. I've used Google Earth. I still use Google Earth a little bit. And it's whatever's got the, the best, you know, aerial imagery and uh, topography. I want to look at the, the topo lines to see, you know, where the, high, where the high ground is, low ground, and drainages, all that good stuff. Saddles, like Adrian was talking about. Drain, have, drainages are good, too. Yeah, and uh, yep. just to know, like, not only for finding where to hunt, but also to access. You know, you don't want to come in if you have to cross a ravine. And if you're looking at a satellite, you might not see it, uh, that what you're looking at is a ditch. It might just look like, you know, a grass field, but actually you've got to climb through a big drainage ditch. The uh, topography will help you pick out on that before you go scout. Yep. Um, now, well, one, one thing y'all didn't mention, which I'd like to ask you guys, have you, has either one of you ever used CalTopo? Mapping. I have don't think that I have. All right, so I'm gonna about to let you guys in on something that you're gonna love. So blow my mind, brother. So listen, so kind of growing up, I'm a map geek. Me and Andrew both are map geeks. We've done a couple of mapping. Hopefully, by the time this podcast comes out, we've had a couple of mapping videos up, ready and rolling. So we use Google Earth a whole bunch, and of course Onyx. But the problem is, there's times when Onyx is not. If I'm not looking, if I'm not worried about property boundaries, I won't look at Onyx. Right. There's a service out there called CalTopo. It's free. Mm-hmm. Go on your computer, CalTopo, C-A-L-T-O-P-O. It is the most in-depth, free mapping system I've ever used. Really? So it has the most accurate topo topo map I've ever seen. And the cool thing about it, it has aerial photos. Unlike, well, you can do this with Google Earth, but you can't do Google Earth with a overlay uh, topo map without having to download something. Yeah. So you can do – it has aerial maps up to roughly 10 to 15 years ago. You can get stuff all the way back to the 1990s. If you're looking at topo, if you're looking at uh, timber uh, land. So yeah. in Alabama, we hunt a lot of timber land. You know, I know where you guys are hunting Alabama. There's a lot of timber cuts. You can look on a map how long ago they had cut a property and how old you think those pines are, okay? Yeah. Which is fantastic because you're trying to look for two things. You're trying to look at what would make for good bedding cover, food habitat, but also what could be desolate. You know, if those pine trees are, you know, close to that 10-year-old mark, and they haven't thinned them yet. It's gonna be it's gonna be too open underneath those deer. Are probably not gonna be in there a whole bunch. Okay, where if you find that stuff that's you know three, four, five years old, it's going to be prime deer habitat. Yeah. So that's fantastic. Also, it shows fire history when the state comes in and does fire burns, which it might not be big where you guys are at. North Alabama, they do a lot of fires. We have a little bit of control burns, but not like Alabama. Okay, so it shows the fire history over the last 10 to 15 years as wow. well. Also, it shows uh, LIDAR on some pieces of property. And if y'all aren't familiar with LIDAR, we had a conversation earlier with uh, Dave Owen's uh, fiance, who actually works with LIDAR. It's a mapping system where they come in, they take, it's an aerial map where they take a laser and goes over the whole property. And it take there's no trees on it. Doesn't show trees. It shows the it shows the actual different terrain features on the ground. Like you can look at it, mm-hmm. and it's almost kind of white and gray. You can see through the trees, okay, where there is a logging road going cutting through a hillside that you would never see on a uh, aerial map. Wow, you wouldn't see it on a topo map. And the cool thing is, you can look at them and see how old, roughly how old those. Um, those logging roads are and fire yeah. breaks by how worn out they look. If they look real crisp and clean. 
definitely it's something that's access that a lot of guys are using. You can see where they're worn out and they're a little more uh, rounded off on the edges and stuff. It's an older uh, either fire break or older logging road that's in the timber that wow. you can't see. Yeah, it, those older logging roads are often grown up with saplings. And it's they sometimes they can make excellent travel corridors because it leads at a hard edge that you normally can't see because all those saplings are underneath the, the, the tree cover that runs that edge. And a lot of those deer, especially bucks, will be making rubs and scrapes along that edge as well. Yeah, It is a fantastic service. Again, we've talked about this on the podcast a few times. We've had a lot of guys ask us about Cal Topo. Definitely, for you guys, I would recommend looking at it. It will blow your mind. Yeah, I'll check that out. Now, the cool thing is also you can save points on there, kind of like you do on Onyx. And the cool thing is with y'all hunting public land, hunting together, we're actually making a – me and Andrew and our buddy Michael Pike are making a comprehensive database for ourselves. You log on through a Google email. If you have a Google account, uh, Gmail or whatever, you log on. You get make one for yourself that you guys can share. Put all your pins on there. It has a bunch of different pins, a bunch of different uh, ways you can draw stuff out. And you can put in there you know, where you've killed deer, where you've seen some of these big deer, early season, late season, everywhere, and make a comprehensive map for yourself that you guys can share back and forth. Figure out, first of all, where have y'all been hunting? And you start seeing spots on the map that you haven't been to. Or you're like, you know, I haven't looked at this little parcel for some reason, right. or this little area, or I haven't been on this side of this creek. And then you can start putting together where you've killed deer and where you could maybe go in and be like, hey, I need to check this spot out. It's ridiculous, dude. So, again, recommend that for both of y'all and all Thank of our you. listeners as Thank well. Thank you. Definitely want to check that out. Now, when it comes to kind of later season, I know, Jonathan, uh, I, th- I believe you had a little success later on in the season getting into December, right? Yeah, with the does gr- grouping back up. I actually got into some still hunting. Uh, I mean, when I went down to Alabama with the hunting public guys, we, we did some still hunting. I did a little bit with my bow just for fun to see if I could do it. And, I mean, I had a chance doing that. And then I do some still hunting with my rifle as well. Yep. And then I, I'll do a little bit of grown-up field hunting where I get up in a saddle up over a CRP field, and I'll get up high enough to where I can look down into the tall grass and whatnot and uh, get out there on a real crisp, cold morning, and the sun comes up and hits that field. A lot mm-hmm. of times those, those does or deer in general, I've seen bucks do it too. They'll come out into the sunlight when it's real, real cold, and, and they'll kind of browse around on whatever's left in there, and, they'll, and they feel safe because the, the weeds and grass are tall. But they, they don't realize you're looking right down at them, but they feel like they're safe, so they just kind of browse around and do their thing. Do you believe that – do you see deer in those areas, especially like for thermal cover when it gets really cold? Uh, just anywhere the sun hits when it gets really, really cold, yep. like colder than usual for that for the region. And on those cold mornings where, you know, it's just hard, crunchy frost until, you know, like 9 in the morning, you'll see uh, – You'll see more deer activity after the sun starts hitting those those grown up fields, and the deer actually come out to get in the sun because the sun is what I think warms them yeah. up. Yeah, I found the same. You know, a lot. You know, my favorite time to hunt is the morning time. I just like waking up with the uh, with you know in the woods, yep. so to speak. And uh, I think some people always assume that deer are going to move early in the morning, but I, I found on those really cold mornings they they stay bedded Almost down. Always yeah. later. Yeah, it's it's almost they wait till that sun comes out and things start melting up a little bit and, and it, they got that heat on them. They don't want to move, you know. They're they're nestled in and they they got got warmth going on for for what they're doing and then they get up later in the day around nine nine o'clock or so typically. Yeah, now, yeah, I'd say usually it's after it's around or after nine yeah. on the on the coldest of mornings. And then and, you know the, the things that we all hear, you know, the the south south facing slopes and stuff like that. You know, you'll find they'll, they'll go back and bed down there because that's where the sun's going to be hitting for, for a long time. So, Oh, yeah. Now, kind of wrap this up a little bit. Do y'all have any 
maybe off-the-wall tactics that you guys use that you're willing to talk about when hunting either public or private land? Um, I, I don't know if it's off-the-wall, but uh, it's a little different from a lot of people. I like those little random pieces of land. Like, you might be right by the highway or something, and uh, it's it might not have a big buck you know, Roman, like living in there, but it might have does coming through. It'd be a good place to set up and, and uh, fill the freezer or whatever. Yep. Um, I, I like hunting just odd spots that people kind of walk past or overlook. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I don't always hunt that way, but I kind of get a thrill out of it being like, well, everybody's just going right past you, and I'm seeing all these deer. And maybe I'm not seeing a big buck, but it's still kind of cool how much the, the critters we use a small area if they got the right cover and food and nobody's bothering them. Exactly. I'm, I'm kind of the same with that. You know, I, I think that uh, a lot of people just want to hunt big woods, and I like finding little fingers, little little stretches of fingers because it's enough cover for the deer to hide. And, again, like he's saying, a lot of people walk past that because they're thinking big woods. And, and you know, most people generally walk past those, so the deer are smart enough to figure out, hey, nobody's coming in here. So I like to sneak up in there and uh, and, and hunt those areas. I mean, it's not off the wall, but it's just um, – and, and you'll hear people talking about it, but when it comes down to it, they, most, they're still not going to do it. Yeah, because it just looks like – it doesn't feel right. Like, I can't just go set up here behind my truck. Oh, yeah. And, and going off that, like, uh, don't overlook parking areas yeah. if it's the right habitat, if the deer are using it. Now, just because it's a parking area doesn't mean the deer are going to use it. But I've seen people post pictures on social media like, hey, whoever's hunting in this silver Chevy Avalanche, the deer yeah. are at your truck. Like. I've seen that kind of stuff. And if you think about it, everybody's walking in. Well, the deer are going to push out towards the parking lot area. and and But it's, it's not going to be a guaranteed thing every time. But, again. It depends on the, the spot you're at. Like the, And as I mentioned, you know, some, some of these guys are going to go hunt the same tree every time. Hunt the hunters. If you're hunting a particular parcel that you kind of get to know and you notice. If, if you, you know, take an observation hunt. You know, a lot of people think that, you know, yeah, I'm going to take my bow. I like to do observation hunts so I can just get gain feedback. So if you see people coming in a couple of times, kind of hunt away from where they're at, where they're going further in or whatever, and kind of kind of hunt around the parking lot just to see. Yep. Why not do that just to try and see? Yeah, there's and this this is one thing that's big among public land hunters is go farther, go deeper into the woods, whatever, get away from the pressure. And and a lot of times that is the case is you got to go farther than everybody else. But a lot of times there's other people, especially with easy access like logging roads. A lot of people go farther, like a mile or two is nothing in some places. So sometimes you're better off staying closer, just depending on the hunting pressure and the the habitat or access or access from if they're coming in from one direction. If you can get you know Jonathan does this, get ahead of them, like maybe go in if you can go in through a creek or use a kayak or a flat bottom boat. Um, you know, there's, there's, uh, yeah. And I was going to just going to say water access. Yep. Yep. No, the, we, we like to do that quite a bit. Deer that's, will that's bed huge. right on the bank, yep. whether it's a lake or a river or a creek, deer, deer will bed right by the water sometimes. And, and that can make access tough. But like, if you know how to get in on them, like, uh, I killed a oldest deer I ever shot last year. So, uh, I pulled the jawbones just out of curiosity. Uh, I, it was a real old doe that was bedded down with two younger deer, and, and I still hunted them and shot them 50 yards from my boat. And uh, I, sent in the, I sent in the front teeth to the deer lab. They take a sample of the incisors and do the aging, count the rings, whatever. She was like 14 and a half years old. 
and like you don't usually see that but it's just one of those little spots that doesn't look good it's not like big open woods it's not a place you can walk in and hunt and you just pull the butt up and if the deer are there they're there if they're not they're not and i just kind of lucked into it um but i say lucked into it but i've been there a couple times and the deer were always bedding in there so it's one of those spots that just got overlooked yep. if you're ever hunting around a river just pre-season go walk the river edge i'll guarantee you there's a trail there look at the crossings yeah guarantee you Yep, that, that's awesome, guys. And I think a lot of people can get a lot out of this, especially talking about how you guys transition throughout the season. But also, like you said, you know, stuff like this when it comes to hunting public land, sometimes you got to do stuff a little bit different from everybody else. And, you know, we tell people that, but how many people actually listen to us and actually do what we're talking about? That's the thing. Because yeah. after seeing our, our listener count, and I know a lot of these guys that hunt around me, I never see them in the I mean, woods. I, I'm, Not guilty. Where I'm, at. I'm guilty of it, too. You know, yeah. like we all think, oh, that's a great idea. I'm going to do that. And then you just go do what you're comfortable with. I mean, Oh, we're all guilty of that. Yeah, yeah for that, sure. Yeah, you gotta get out of your comfort zone, man. So, yep. hey, maybe that's the name of this podcast: get out of the comfort zone with uh, the tether crew. What's going on? Yeah, awesome. Well, hey guys, I appreciate you guys uh, coming in for this week's episode. Um, first off, Adrian, how can somebody uh, get in contact with you if someone wants to check you out, especially on social media? Uh, I'm on Facebook, but I'm I'm only there for the saddle hunting reading. I am a Instagram guy, so you can look me up at Big A Sports, B I G A S P O R T S. Awesome. And now, Jonathan, where can people find out some of your stuff? Uh, YouTube, Catman Outdoors, and uh, Instagram at Catman529. I've got a Facebook page for that as well, but I and I do post on it, but not quite as frequently as Instagram because I just enjoy the pictures better than, than the, the Facebook post you, you for know, whatever reason. You know you can link those together, right? I do that sometimes, but not every time. Don't yeah. ask why. I'm just, I, I don't know, really. Awesome. When are you going to have some new merchandise up? Um, hopefully in the next few weeks, I've actually been kind of throwing a few ideas around. I've got some, uh, window decals out right now on my website, catmanoutdoors.com. Man, I checked. They were out, they were, they were sold out. You decals? Were, yeah. The uh, stickers, I don't know, the vinyl stickers you had. I looked at them like a week ago and they were out. I'll have to double check that because I haven't, I haven't sold out yet. Oh, okay. okay. There may be a glitch in the, uh, oh God. In, in the website. I'll, I'll double check. I'm glad I, you put I, that I out. guarantee you this, though. They don't take long. Catman is the man, and uh, he, he's a heck of a hunter. I'm telling you. Awesome. Well, guys, I appreciate you guys coming in, and uh, I appreciate all the. I appreciate, man, I'm botching everything. I appreciate everyone tuning in for this week's episode. Make sure you stay tuned for our new stuff coming out this fall, and uh, make sure you check out the YouTube channel, and uh, make sure you already have subscribed to the podcast. Thanks, guys. Look, last summer, y'all heard us talk a bunch about the Mobile Hunters Expo. It was an incredible event. A bunch of you guys came out to meet us. We got to talk to, I don't even know how many listeners. If you heard all that last year and you were like, dang, that sounded cool, I should have went to that. Here's your chance. You need to make it to this one. It's June 28th through June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. All right, giving you a heads up here, so go ahead and mark it on your calendar. June 28th through June 30th, Dalton, Georgia is going to be the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. We're going to be there. A bunch of our past podcast guests are going to be there. There's going to be seminars. All of the mobile hunting companies are going to be there for you to try out gear before you buy it. It's like the one event of the year where all of the 
the like the mobile hunter ecosystem just kind of congregates in one place. And Chris and Josh and the guys have done an absolutely phenomenal job putting this thing together over the last couple years. And it keeps getting better every year. So like I said, make sure you come see us. We're going to have a gigantic stack of free stickers to give away to every listener that stops by the booth. And we're going to have merch there to purchase. We're going to be recording podcasts, shooting videos, all kinds of stuff. So like I said, don't miss it. You can head on over to the mobilehuntersexpo.com to look at show schedules and dates and go ahead and grab your tickets. So y'all go check it out at the mobilehuntersexpo.com. 